Hello, everybody. It's Ben Glebe here. The podcast is starting in a second, but just a couple quick, quick announcements. Um, I will be at the Paris Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas this weekend, May 3rd, 4th, and 5th, 2012. Uh, you can get tickets. Just be in Vegas or find it through my website, benglebe.com. Also, Tacoma, Washington, July 12th through 14th. Atlanta, Georgia, July 19th through 22nd. Um, and the shit hitchhikers say video that I keep promising is being released. We're putting finishing touches on it. I've been on the road. It's coming out. I promise. I'm sorry it's delayed. It's coming out very, very soon. Other than that, the show is starting right now. Does Beyonce now want to be seen with Kim Kardashian? Bin Laden's secret files uncovered. Did Rick Santorum creep on Lindsay Lohan? The Secret Service bangs more prostitutes. And my parents joined me to discuss racial profiling, how they knew they wanted to get married, what it was like for my mom to be in the Israeli army, if Israel should bomb Iran, if they ever thought I was gay. And we celebrate the 20th anniversary of the L.A. riots. All this and more during the... Last week on Earth with Bentley. Not be driven by fear into an age of unreason. Oh my God, guys, listen up! I have an announcement to make. Did you guys know that I'm like the number one Google search last week? It could be the stuff of history, however, one way or the other. Okay, is Jessica Simpson here yet? And to those critics who are so pessimistic about our economy, I say, don't be economic, girly man. How many sides does a triangle have? Damn, four. There's no side. One. Last week on Earth. Last week on Earth. Last week on Earth. Last week on Earth. Hello, everybody. The last seven days were the last week on Earth. Um, if you do the math, that's how it works out. Uh, thank you all for tuning in. Our show this week is brought to you by DNA. Making sure you are very similar to your parents. Sometimes strikingly, frighteningly, perhaps even similar to your parents in many ways, sometimes unexpected ways. Um, interesting week for me. I just got back from Nashville, Tennessee just an hour ago. I was on the airplane with Ted Danson and Mary Steenburgen. She kept her name. Um, but they're a lovely acting couple. I've always enjoyed them. I wanted to ask them to do the, do the podcast, but then I couldn't. I couldn't. It was Sam Malone, and I couldn't ask him. He just walked right by. I'm like, I, I literally, they walked right by me. I had one chance to say, we do my podcast. And instead, uh, they walked right by me. And I said to Ted Danson, you guys are awesome. Ted Danson goes, thank you, and kept walking. So it's the worst story ever, and um, I blew it. I blew that opportunity. But um, a little bit later in the podcast, I'll be introducing you to my First time I've had two guests to my two guests for this episode, a couple equally as lovely and um, after today, equally as well known. My parents, Nate and Ziva, will be joining me for the last week on Earth. Um, I just got back from Nashville. I was co-headlining with Ali Wong, the legendary Zanies Comedy Club. Ali was hilarious and awesome. It's a legendary club. Everybody has played that room. Um, and Nashville was an amazing city. They call it Music City, and it really was the most musical city. I think it outdoes New Orleans in music ability. Is that a word? Because literally not only every bar you walk into has live bands, but 
I was literally, I walked into a, a an antiques shop. There was a live country band in an antique shop. So I spent a lot of money. So that was good. Um, let's dive into it. A lot of things happened during this last week. The Supreme Court began hearing the SB 1070 uh, case, the very controversial new uh, Arizona immigration law, uh, law where they had passed it, but it has been challenged in the courts and it got all the way to the top. And basically the purpose of the law is that Arizona police and lawmakers can, when stopping anybody for any reason, they can ask for their papers to make sure they're not documented. They suspect at all that they might be illegal. And how would you suspect, how do you suspect somebody might be illegal? Because they are brown. Because they have dark skin. That's how you think they might be not from around here. And Arizonans hate things that are different than them. So they're sitting there right now praying that the Supreme Court deliberates in a way that it comes out where Arizona lawmakers get to say, there's, their fingers are crossed, please let us detain brown people. We would love to be able to be real dicks to people who live here but are different skin-wise than us. So, you know, they got their fingers crossed. We'll see how that shakes down. The White House Correspondents' Dinner took place this last week, and that's always an exciting night for Washington. The president gets to become a stand-up comedian for 15 minutes and take on every part of the Washington establishment, take on his opponents, and really make some political points under the guise of humor, um, which I've never done. But he he, he does it uh, once a year during that, but it was especially... A contentious one because, as we all know, it's an election year, and it was a good chance for him to kind of stake out his positions early. And it's a particularly uh, contentious week because before the correspondence dinner, House Speaker Republican John Boehner, uh, whose name is spelled Boner, and don't you forget it, uh, blamed Obama for picking fights on a range of issues, including student loan interest rates, saying that Obama is handpicking these issues to intentionally divide voters. But saying that, for example, the White House threatened to veto a House GOP bill, a House Republican bill that would have kept the student loan rates where they currently are if they just agreed to also get rid of part, get rid of part of Obama's health care bill that is costly but provides hundreds of thousands of breast and cervical cancer screenings to women. Uh, hey, hey, uh, Boner, that is not simply keeping the rates low if you're tying it to further war on women. It's like, we will keep students as they are, as long as we can still attack somebody we don't like, whether it's women or minorities or or poor people, any of those. If we can tag that on, fine, the students can keep their rates the same. Um, he was also criticized this week, Obama, for a campaign ad that recounted the raid that killed bin Laden. And Obama was kind of taking credit for it, which I think is fair, because he ordered it. I feel as though you can take credit for things for which you are deserving of the credit. That even got Obama some props from the Republicans when it first happened for two days. There was some modicum of goodwill. They applauded when he walked in the room. Not Sean Hannity. He was still a dick from second one. Sean Hannity was like, ah, he could have killed him better. Could have been half a bullet in the middle of his eyes and not a full bullet wasted of government money. Some shit. Um, but, uh, so all that went into the correspondence center. This week, also, Obama slow jammed the news on Jimmy Fallon, which was the first time president, president's ever before even been on late night TV shows before Obama took office while they were in office. And 
Obama's done all of them, and now he slow jams the news with Fallon. But again, it was about keeping interest rates for college students low. It's the target demographic of Fallon's show. I think that's fair game. But then Obama got his chance to get back at them at the White House Correspondents' Dinner. And um, let me first play you um, some great clips of Obama uh, taking on people criticizing how he blames George Bush for everything, and uh, then his fellow members of Congress and even takes on his own Secretary of State, Hillary Clinton. Listen to this. Now, some have said I blame too many problems on my predecessor, but let's not forget that's a practice that was initiated by George W. Bush. (laughs) Since then, Congress and I have certainly had our differences, uh, yet I've tried to be civil to not take any cheap shots. Uh, And that's why uh, I want to especially thank all the members who took a break from their exhausting schedule of not passing any laws to be here tonight. Let's give them a big round of applause. (laughs) Despite many obstacles, Much has changed during my time in office. Four years ago, I was locked in a brutal primary battle with Hillary Clinton. Four years later, she won't stop drunk texting me from Cartagena. Nice, Barack. That is some good stuff. He has amazing comedic timing for a president. Um, For anybody, really, he's pretty damn good at it. And uh, those jokes were were a little harsh, especially about Congress not passing any laws. Did he take it one step further? Uh, yes, he did take it one step further um, because um, he took on the Republicans in a stronger way with this joke that supposedly seemed like it was making fun of the host Jimmy Kimmel and his start on the man show. But instead, maybe it took on the contraception hearings that Congress recently had. Jimmy got a start years ago on the man show. In Washington, that's what we call a congressional hearing on contraception. It's funny because it was all old white dudes that were deciding women's reproductive rights. And then, what did I talk about last week? What did I report to you guys about Obama's eating dog controversy? After all the criticism Romney got for having his dog, Seamus, Seamus, whoever you say that shit, on top of his car for a 12-hour drive, came out Obama one-upped him by eating dog in his childhood when growing up in Kenya. Um, and, uh, Obama actually took that on in a joke that was pretty insane. When this punchline hits, Michelle, you can't see it because you don't have video in your ears, but Michelle Obama looked stunned at this joke. It's even like some weird sexual connotation to it. Um, here's that joke. Even Sarah Palin's getting back into the game. Guest hosting on the Today Show, which reminds me uh, of an old saying. What's the difference between a hockey mom and a pit bull? A pit bull is delicious. <laughs> a little soy sauce. A little soy sauce. Wow, that is that is a gangster Joe way to defuse the fact that you've eaten dog, Mr. President. I, I I hail to the chief on that one, to the chief of dog devourers. And um, in this last clip I'll play you from the correspondence dinner, um, Obama took on his likely opponent, 
uh, in the presidential race, who was sitting there in the audience. I know at this point many of you are expecting me to go after my likely opponent, Newt Gingrich. <laughs> Newt, there's still time, man. <laughs> there's still time, man. I love how Obama gets all gangster with it. There's still time, bro. Come on, man. He speaks so cash for a president. I, I enjoy that. Um, Gingrich kind of smiled at it. It took it better than Donald Trump did last year when, when Obama slammed him at the correspondence dinner. Uh, he did not take it kindly. Um, so it's fun to hear the president taking some of the comedic pressure off of me for a couple of minutes. Um, Bin Laden's files found at the compound we killed him in show Al Qaeda and Taliban leaders in close contact. Uh, yeah, it's not the whole point of why we're in Afghanistan because Al Qaeda in Afghanistan was part of the Taliban. They were harbored by them and trained by them. If they're not part of the Taliban, then why on God's green earth are we trying to take down the Taliban? While we're also secretly negotiating with them, by the way, which is a very strange dichotomy. We're murdering you and we're negotiating with you, which is weird because how do they even come into the negotiating room? Because we'll probably murder them in the room. It's a very strange line we're drawing. But the story re reported further. For, it was reported in The Guardian uh, from the UK that documents found in the house where Osama was killed a year ago show a close working relationship between top al-Qaeda leaders and Mullah Omar, the overall commander of the Taliban, including free, frequent discussions of joint operations against NATO forces in Afghanistan, the Afghan government, and targets in Pakistan. The communications show three-way conversations between bin Laden and his then-deputy Ayman Zawahiri and Omar, who's believed to have been in Pakistan since fleeing Afghanistan after his regime collapsed in 2001 when we uh, first went in there. Now, this news will determine, or some people are speculating it's going to severely undermine the hopes of a negotiated peace in Afghanistan, which makes sense if they are literally planning coordinated attacks with al-Qaeda, our number one enemy, hard to negotiate and agree on shit when we're trying to drop drone-driven bombs on your head constantly. Uh, it makes it a little bit more difficult. Um, and experts say that although Omar built a strong relationship with bin Laden and Zawahiri, other Taliban commanders see that the close alliance uh, between them could be problematic. But it doesn't matter because if your leader's close with them, you're just griping from the bench there, Johnny boy. Your organizations are linked. And... As we've said before on the podcast, Western intelligence officials estimate there's less than 100 al-Qaeda-linked fighters in Afghanistan. And last year, the UN split its sanctions list to separate the Taliban and al-Qaeda. Just last year, we separated them? The war started 10 years ago. They were the same in our eyes until just a few months ago. We realized, well, maybe if we separate these enemies, then we can kind of back out of Afghanistan Somewhat gracefully? Is that possible? It's so insane. And it reminded me, by the way, we're at war. Isn't that insane? Unless you're a military family, the thought does not cross your mind during a normal day that we're at war. Because the wars don't affect us on a day-to-day -day basis in this country. They'll affect us maybe on a blowback basis one day down the line. But not now. All we care about is the here and now, guys. You got to live in the present moment. Well, you don't if you plan to live past today. I guess sometimes it's okay to plan a little bit for tomorrow. But that's not always how our foreign policy works. Um, it's a pretty scary thing. And uh, this brings up a lot of issues. You know, they don't see eye to eye in everything, the Taliban and al-Qaeda, but it's clear they understand they have an interest in cooperating uh, on these attacks against NATO and the Afghan government and certain Pakistani targets. 
Let's have a tag team, guys. Let's totally tag team some targets and have a kind of a joint terrorist slash barbecue. Picnic, somebody bring coleslaw, please. And hummus. Ah. Uh, two of the three engaged in these conversations are still alive, so we hear you, Omar. And uh, there's no reason to think they've substantially changed their views in the last year since we got these documents. So that's scary shit. And the Republicans are giving Obama shit for taking credit for killing the number one guy on our wanting to kill list. So that's very strange to me. It's so strange that uh, I'm going to move on from it in one second and introduce my guests. But one last item about that is um, one of the the the, um, the memos that was also is is now likely to be declassified, including memos apparently dictated by bin Laden himself. And by the way, if they're not declassified yet, why do I know this? How do these things leak? They're not declassified, but I'm sharing it on my podcast, on the Smodcast Network. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Uh, but apparently in these memos dictated by bin Laden, he urges followers to avoid indiscriminate attacks which kill Muslims. Not demanding, just a suggestion. And in the memos, he was also pondering a rebranding of Al-Qaeda under a new name. Branding is important. We'll talk about it again during the Thunder Round at the end of the podcast. But they're going to rebrand Al-Qaeda? They think they could change their name to The Explosives. Put it on shirts or The Expendables or something. Get Bruce Willis to co-star. Oh, it's all too much. My guests this week on Last Week in Earth have had very esteemed careers and lives. You know them from birthing me. Well, you know one of them from birthing me. The other one was there saying, thank God I'm not in extreme pain right now. Um, my father, Nathan, a longtime real estate broker and recent years, um, a retail luggage salesman taking a more uh, chill path, trying to use his skills of enjoying talking to people. And my mother, who for much of my childhood was mostly a stay-at-home mom and a housewife, but also the, all along was a Hebrew teacher and tutor as well, tutored rabbis in in the Bible and in Hebrew, and um, then was for many, many years, up until recently, a Hebrew school teacher at a uh, very conservative uh, Jewish school in Los Angeles, even though she is not by any means very religious herself. Please welcome my parents, Nate and Ziva. Hi. <laughs> What's up, moms? <laughs> That was great. I loved the introduction. Thank you. Fabulous. Not of us. That was bad. But You did not like my intro of you, <laughs> but the beginning of the podcast, you mean. I loved it. It was really fantastic. That's very, very sweet wonderful. of you, Mother. Thank you. I... You can save the compliments if you want for after. You don't have to compliment me. You can be as mean as you want. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Dad, how you doing? I'm great, and it's just thrilling for me to be here and be part of this it's just a, a lot of joy and thanks I'm, Bob. I'm, I'm loving seeing you do your thing like you do it as no one else does it as well as you do thanks pop but also you said being here we are doing this special recording i should let you, the audience know from your own house yes so you are usually here <laughs> yeah, last i heard <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um thank you guys for being here i've been wanting to have you on for a while and um it's cool that you're able to join me if I were able to get Ted Danson and Mary Steenburgen, I would have bumped you guys probably. That would have been perfect. We wouldn't have spoken to you afterwards, but it would have been perfect. <laughs> um, so first, I would just love to talk for a minute about if you guys could tell me a little bit about, because, you know, very interesting things, Mom. You grew up in Israel. You're Israeli. I am. And um, Israel's been so much in the news recently. And, Dad, you spent some of your childhood in 
Bogota, Colombia. You went to high school there, and Colombia's certainly been in the news recently. So first, Mom, if you could just tell me a few words about what it was like to grow up in Israel, in right, right smack down in the middle of the Middle East. Yes, uh, growing up there, we, we always were very well aware of being the Jewish, tiny Jewish state amongst many Arab nations, but it never felt really very threatening or alien unless there was a, bro- a war breaking out and there were wars breaking out. But in between, no, really. Uh, we had a pretty, pretty idyllic situation there. Uh, there were many Arabs in uh, Israeli villages who were Israeli Arabs who worked in uh, uh, vineyards and in homes uh, and in constructions in, in my hometown, which was Zichron. And uh, we were visiting their villages and going to their personal homes, and, and uh, my father had very close friends who were Arabs and Druze, which is a sect of uh, Islam. Um, it, it really, it was pretty idyllic. I, I, you know, it would have been much more interesting to say, oh, and we were scared to go out in the streets. We were not. Well, but then you also served in the army. It's compulsory I, in Israel to do that. Yes. It and you're is. the least kind of army person. I know, but, but I view it as an adventure. Like I view everything in my life. Going to the market is an adventure for me. But you firing guns. I can't fathom I, that. I, well, I can't fathom it either, but nonetheless, I did it only, only, only at targets and not really at live things. Were you good and, at firing uh, at targets? Yeah, they were better. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I had fun doing it because it was it was finite. It was it was in uh, a year and eight months and, and at the end of that period I was done with that forever. So I was really just trying to get every moment uh to its maximum, to enjoy it, to experience it, and, and to live it. And, and it was fantastic. It's just a little disconcerting for me that my mother is much more badass than I am. I tried to be very manly. I, I wasn't, but I, I view it as a role that I was playing, so that's really fun. Yeah, you're also an actress in Israel. You enjoyed acting very much, and you, you actually did a movie. Somewhat. I didn't do a movie. I, I, I had a small role in a movie. And well, that's what I meant. I didn't mean that you movie. created the I, film or anything. I, no, no, I did not create the film. But uh, yes, and, and it was really exciting and a lot of fun. I always loved acting. But uh, I loved teaching as well. And I always feared that I was too uh, bohemian in my ways. And, and I was so afraid I would just keep on flying up and I wanted to be grounded. So I went, when I went to college after, uh, the army, I, uh, studied Hebrew literature and, uh, for my masters, I studied, uh, comparative literature and I became a high school teacher and I act, and I've been acting in front of class all the time. <laughs> and truly, I, I, I view teaching as acting and then the second it's an act, I, I'm the best. <laughs> so you you decided you saw yourself getting too far off in an artistic lifestyle. You wanted to ground yourself. I had I did not ground myself clearly and decided to go fully off the deep end. Disappointed in me. And I think I'm the only Jewish mother in the universe, if there is one like on Mars or something, <laughs> uh, who pushed her son to be a comedian. That's right? true, right? I'm so proud of you. I, I love you. I think you're amazing. You're the funniest man alive. I mean that. And, uh. Can I quote you on that? Ben's mom says he's the funniest man alive. And, and she's, um, and she means it. 
allow me to cut off those baseless compliments because they're coming from your mother and she has to say that, that kind of thing legally. So, Pop, you were born in Israel, lived there I till just, the- I want to just add one thing Please. about mom. When she was in the army. Yeah. She happened to have worked in the office of the famous one-eyed Israeli great general of the 67 war, Moshe Dayan. That's right. I forgot about that. And furthermore, in her marching skills, she was the prettiest and most able marcher of the whole platoon. So here, it wasn't just a soldier with great skill in Uzis, but her marching ability was second to none. And I already mentioned the Moshe Dayan story. They had you march in the front of everybody, right? Yeah. In the front three. We marched in threes, and I was in the middle of the first three. That's pretty cool, come to think of it. Very cool. There's a picture of that. There are several. We do have it. Maybe I'll persuade you to let me upload a copy. Absolutely not. Okay, never mind. That's fine. My mom is very shy for an actress who's acting every day of her life. Because I don't want to be me. You don't want to be you? Great, I mean, I'll I say, <laughs> great, I'll, I'll blow the picture and I'll say that you're pretending to be, uh, something funny in this reference. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, we gotta tell him. Pop, you gotta keep the mic at the, the same distance from your face. You're like moving it because you're very expressive with your hands, but it's making the audio go in and out. Just try to keep it at one spot. I apologize, we're one mic stand short, but we have to deal with it. No what were you gonna say? No, I was gonna say the mom with putting her picture there, she has to think about Van Gogh with the self-portrait. As an encouraging her to actually have. Why well, are you saying she should cut off one of her body parts? No, but actually, that you get, Mike has to be in your mouth. You're the key. Like the this. key point was about self-portrait. You know, <laughs> put the portrait out there and, and get it out there because she's so gorgeous. Yeah, but he painted that. He could have made himself look a lot better. He wants me to become a painter. I got that. Painter. Uh, the house needs some painting. Okay, t- tell about you. <laughs> you want mom to paint the house, is what you're saying. Come on, tell about you. Okay, so you, you were born in Israel, and you moved to the States when you were one years old. Grandma, no, no, grandpa. No. no, actually, we first went to Columbia when I was about really? two or three years old. Really? That was the first round. I did not know that. Yep. See, he learns things late in, in, in the career. So we were first in Columbia, and then when I was about eight years old, we came to the United States. At which point, kids in my school in Bogota were saying, here are the things you can buy when you're going to go to America. Here's what a penny will buy you. They didn't realize how that would be true then. But nowadays, you know, look what a penny, you know, a dollar. You could buy shit for a penny back They were saying, if you go to the States, here's what's going to happen. You're going to have, you're going to buy this for a penny or that was for Was that a penny. true when you got there? It was very true. It was different times in those days. What could you buy for a penny? Well, whatever, some chewing gum. Phone calls way back when used to be 10 cents. Yeah, I remember when Bazooka Joe chewing gum was 5 cents. That's in my yeah. time. I mean, gas used to be 50 cents a gallon. You could buy a What? Gorgeous, you could buy a gorgeous home for about $50,000. What? Interest rates were like five and three quarters in the mid-60s. Of course, now they're like, you know, so who would have thought they would have? What are they now? They're below that, but the point is... There were times under They've Carter. They've gone down. No, no, but there were also times when there was 20% under Jimmy Carter. Right. So, you know, in terms of the prime. So, you know, things change a lot. The more you stick around, the more you see everything come back, which is a yeah. good reason to keep for people to keep uh, clothing that they had that might have been popular way back when. Because if you live long enough, it'll be popular again. Well, I know Tell you guys. about your classmates. Classmates in the second round of, yeah. or the, or the yeah. first round. Please. When you went back second. to Bogota. Okay, when I went back at 16... It was a terrific well, first, time. Before you went back, you were for one year at Hollywood High School, and when you were a freshman, the senior, uh, the president. Tell, tell, tell yeah, when I was at Hollywood High, John Ritter, the late John Ritter, was the president of the school at Hollywood High from and Three's Company fame. Of from course. Three's Company, of course. Now I guess his kids are in the business. Mm-hmm. But the point is, it shows also the dy- dynamics of how Los Angeles has changed. Because basically, a lot of movie stars had their children. Not that I was ever in that case, but. You know, they had their children going to Hollywood High, and now it's a different different kind of crowd. It just 
changing city. Now they're all private schools. Exactly. And so then you went to, to Bogota again, and who were some of your classmates? Well, there, one of my classmates in the great C&G school that I went to, it was in a great American Colegio high Nueva school, Granada. or also Colegio Nathan Glaberman, but they don't like to hear that, so we'll just go <laughs> back to Colegio. Which, which, by the way, it's a good time to share with people, my real last name is Glieberman. I shorten it for Hollywood purposes, and um, make it easier on you, you know? Make it easier. I, I take off five letters and pass the savings on to you. Say this, guys. Um, so, okay, so you went back and then tell us about... So one of the classmates I had in the class of 60, her dad went on to be president of Columbia. No shit. Another friend of ours, actually, he was a year below me, not in, in intellect, but in terms of actual academia. Mm-hmm. He wound up being a ambassador, my good friend Earl Irving, wound up being ambassador from the United States to Swaziland, finished out his term. Now, now. Swaziland, that's a real place or a fictional place? <laughs> Uh, last I told, I was told it, it's the real McCoy. So, and you know, it, we had a really interesting group, and it was really fascinating being in Bogota with a class of sixty. Whereas if I would have stayed at Hollywood High School, talk espionage. Well, I don't know. Talk yeah, espionage. talk espionage. That's right. One of your classmates was the famous spies hus- that sold out our country. Ames, a- right? A- a- actually, her husband had had some unfortunate dealings. And what were the dealings? Share with the, share with well, the people. Apparently he was uh, betraying the CIA, and I don't want to be, you know, off the Well, it's road. already a story. It's a story, so I just don't like, maybe by now that he's behaving well, but then probably he's not. He was a and, CIA agent. Yeah, and it was like a double agent. And he was double agent for who? For the Soviet Union. No shit. So that was also one of my And she was too. You're, you're, no, no, you're, she wasn't. She, wasn't she put in jail too? Nah, you Your know, classmate. Hardly, her, no, her hardly. Her husband. Was hardly put in jail? Hardly. I mean, I, I part of her was no, one foot in, one foot out. No, she didn't know what was coming down, from what I read, and I really don't know much more about it than what I would see on TV and stuff. Because right, know. and so that's the deal there. That, but it just shows and then, you. mom, one of your uh, teaching mates, her husband was like a great criminal. Oh, that's the best story. Tell that story, universe, please. Uh, one of the greatest like heist artists of all yes, of Israel yes, history. Yes, world history. It's an inc- world tell it, please. Tell it's it. It's an incredible story. Uh, to begin with, she's a, a tiny little meek woman with like blonde little curls and and soft voice and soft eyes and and really like. And she always said that um, her boyfriend in Israel, whom she ended up marrying at the end of his life, he was dying of cancer. Uh, she, he lived in Israel, in Israel, in Tel Aviv, and she always said that he was uh, an art dealer, which is true to a point. Yeah. He, <laughs> yes, he used to rob stealing museums. and dealing. No, no, he used to rob museums, and uh, and sell the paintings and um, uh, jewelry. He stole Marie Antoinette jewelry, clocks and and watches and actually jewelry. her own jewelry. Uh, yeah, Marie Antoinette stuff from the uh, Museum of Islam in Jerusalem. I don't know why it was in the Museum of Islam, but it was. Marie Antoinette. It's the Holy Land for everybody, Mom. Exactly. So uh, he went and uh, he went there at night and he, he stole all the stuff and he had place. Uh, he sold to. Galleries and, and, and banks and, and, uh, private dealers and stuff all over Europe. And, uh, he was put in prison many, many a time. And, uh, uh then the last, they found out about him stealing this years after he did. But before that, uh, he broke into a bank and, uh, it was during the six day war, which was in 1967. And just before the war began, he was digging a tunnel from, uh, some several streets away from the bank underneath people's yards. 
and fences. And uh, he had to stop in the middle because the war broke out and he was called to war. So he left everything there and he told the neighbors, please make sure no one covered this tunnel because I'll be back. <laughs> and he was dressed in uniform of like a, a city person, employee, and they all... Watched out for his tunnel. They kept his, he, his yes, secret tunnel to the bank absolutely, safe. Absolutely. And Did he, he give them to, some of the loot? No, they didn't. He couldn't because they didn't know. Right. Uh, so he went to, to the wall and he came back from the wall, put back the uniform, said hi to all the neighbors. Thank you guys. True story. <laughs> went in the middle of the night, uh, crawled through the tunnel into the bank, took out some of the loot, took it to his apartment, thought to himself, ah, I feel unrefreshed, went to his apartment, took a shower, came back and finished unloading all the, all the, uh, monies and stuff. Uh, a neighbor's dog began barking and then uh, that's how they found him. And the, and the, the, the cops were waiting for him when he came out of the, the hole, yes, right? Yes, because then the, the father of the dog called the So it's the top, the father of the dog. <laughs> the father of the, the adult dog. dog. Yes, called the police. So they came and they, they were waiting for him. And when he came out, the whole story was in the paper. When, when he came out, they said to him, well, did you really think you would get away with it? And he said, absolutely. Top-notch and, people you're working yeah. with at this school. So he yeah. was really the original one that said, I'll be back. <laughs> That's good. That's good, Bob. You had the one ready to go for a minute, ready to <laughs> had to uncork that one. That was good. I like it, Pops. That was nice. And so, and then also, and we're going to launch in a minute into topics from the news. Of course, that's what this podcast is. And then later on, we have Twitter answers that are specifically tailored for your guys being here on the podcast. But um, first, I wanted because you know a lot of people listening out there struggle with love issues and struggle with relationships and some of my dear friends going through that now and i certainly struggle with it at times how you know the person you meet is the one you want to be with and how you know that um you're ready to settle down and so if you guys could please share your story for a moment because it's pretty insane how briefly you guys knew each other before you decided to get married well basically we both had professors dash relatives were working at ucla and it wasn't a sabbatical, our brother-in-law and my cousin. And they got together and they decided that my wife and me might be perhaps having some things in common. So we started corresponding. Mom was living in Israel. You were living in Los Angeles. I was living in Los Angeles after a very unsuccessful, short two-year marriage. Yeah, you were married before that. Exactly. And I re- no, after. So, <laughs> Otherwise, I so, would so, be. So, so part of your thing is you're just quick draw on the marriage. Well, Basically, yeah, and, and I, it's <laughs> another way of putting it. And, uh, and we started to correspond, and then once the course- You were writing letters to each other. Correct. That's something that people did before there was ever How, how does email, it work? I've never heard of before it. Before they ever had, uh, tweeting and all that kind of stuff. Where, you, you actually so you, take a piece of paper. Okay. And you write things down. Yeah, but then what do you do? And you then actually you- emit feelings and, and, Aspects of communicative skills. Yeah. Versus, you know, it's like nowadays. Well, what do you do? You like throw it towards the person? You actually put a stamp on it and you mail it. Get the fuck out of town. It is unbelievable. This is true. Look it up. In, no in, shit. Yeah, exactly. What's well, this called? Writing. My, my, writing? Writing a letter via. A letter. Air, and, you, and, you, and then you write on the envelope, airmail. Oh shit! Yeah, it's just astounding. And it's like nowadays with Facebook and stuff. And an actual person goes and delivers it to... 
the other person. Exactly. And it's when or you had pigeon. before or fa- pigeon. before Facebook and all that, there was ways that people communicate. Like nowadays, because of Facebook, or yeah. some people in our generation call it facelift book. Uh, this applies to anyone over 60. <laughs> Point being that because of Facebook and, and a lot of the social media, I feel people don't converse as well. This is probably my indictment a lot towards you guys, towards your generation Thank you as well. I got to indict someone. Sure, you, know? you do. So basically, you don't you don't communicate as well or as effectively as we did, or maybe it's just a different modus operandi. Well, actually, okay. Well, since you just tangented that, we'll get back to the love story in a moment. But there was one of the stories I wanted to cover was actually maybe hopeful for your guys' always criticism of the social media. Came a story came out this week that said that really Facebook and online social media are not affecting one on one in person communications at all. That um. It's reducing people's email a bit, but people are still having the same amount of in-person one-on-one conversations. And in fact, all it's just doing is just enriching people's it, – it, it's pointing out humanity's desire and need to connect with people. But And so people will share some superficial information there and some get in touch with old friends or whatever. But they still are learning most things that they learn, and they're still um, – Gain the most meaningful connections and even speaking about media that reaches them through traditional means, mostly through face-to-face communication. And I'm glad to hear that, but I, I just, I'm really bewildered by the idea that it's not affecting, uh, face-to-face communication because, uh, it takes, it takes something very important away from, uh, interrelationships. Uh, it takes away intimacy. When you write letters with, with a pen, paper, and, and you sit and at your desk and you write and you put it in the envelope and you go through, it's a ritualistic thing. Yeah, it's ritualistic, it's, but I think yeah. that's, that's not as valuable to me. I think it, that increased maybe longing or increased like romantic notions. Yes, anticipation. But, yeah, but now you get to, Get deeper, faster. Uh, I don't know if deeper, faster for sure. Well, why not deeper? deeper? Instead of instead of scribbling on paper, which is slower, and mailing it and have pigeons carry it for twelve days, you immediately send it. They receive it instantly, and you can write paragraphs and paragraphs back and forth and have yeah, and twenty letters in one night. I know, and and we've had this discussion before uh, many a time. And, I always win and, the argument, right? And Do you I? Never win I never win. Argument. Never win. I I mean, you think you win, and I think I win, but I I win, so I win. And uh, fair enough. Yeah, in your own mind, whatever but, delusions you need to go through. My mind is older, so it wins. So I can't no, deny that, I, mom. I. I really can't emphasize enough how intimacy. Is important in, I don't just mean intimacy between, you know, a boyfriend and a girlfriend or a husband and a wife, even though that's incredibly important, but between friends, between uh, acquaintances that become friends, uh, everything is so easily approached and, and, and attained and it, it takes a lot, a, a lot of the effort away from, from Creating a relationship. And I think an effort is part of it. It's, it's, it's many time when, you know, you, why do you go hiking? You, you, why do you have to go hiking? It's silly. You can just, I don't know, <laughs> take your car and drive to the top of the mountain and get there and wave at everybody because you want to feel that you put in the effort and you, and you did something and you, you accomplished it and, and, and you sort of conquered and you have this incredible feeling that it's difficult to, to relate to other people unless they share with the experience. Now, 
if nobody ever hiked, but you were the only one to hike, you would never be able to actually impart that, that sensation, that deep feeling to right. other people. Right. Uh, same with, with, with this social media. I, I get why it's important. I get why it matters. I get why it's good. I get it all, and I don't want it. But aren't you just speaking, though, from history? You're saying, oh, because that's the way it was done. But what if humankind existed and never at first wrote with letters? What if we had computers from the beginning? You would have, I think, just as rich of relationships, you would and be able to communicate faster. That could be, but that's, it could very well be. But of course, I can't answer that, nor can you, because human history has not, did never begin, began with computers. That's why you're wrong. So, that's why you're wrong. <laughs> so I, There's an I ultimate can't, reality. I visited I, the altar in 1985 that, from Back to the Future 2. That could be, but I, I'm not privy to it. So I don't know. So I can't say what would have been in case it's like they're all taking one path other than the other uh, you never would know what would have been like taking the other path you should obviously you rent it. the gwyneth paltrow so, movie sliding doors i love that movie. it was a good movie it's a good movie so dad what do you think though because you recently you obviously fell in love with my lovely mom through letters but you also just recently got on facebook and twitter so that's very interesting. basically i've become a recent convert to the social media and even though I still agree with a lot of what mom states, because I'd like a nice dinner tomorrow night, <laughs> the, the fact of the matter is that uh, I, I see the benefits of it. I do have a, a Twitter account. It's not progressing like I would have liked. At Nate Dog Dodger. Right. Follow my father. If you like sports especially, at Nate Dog Dodger. Updates. So I do like, thank you for that plug. You're I welcome. appreciate it. Anytime, Papa. And basically, I, I, I see the merits of it in terms of communicating in a, in a mass way and, and, and in a quick way. But on the other hand, you know, when I when I go to a coffee shop or when I have lunch and mom and I go somewhere and we see everyone just texting and doing all that, it is a whole different ball game than we were used to. And it's not to say that it's bad. And like I said, with the admission of the conversion, which I've just stated yeah. on, on, on this podcast, you know, I, I see its merits. But on the other hand, people have to really go back to some of the good aspects of, you know, one-on-one -on -one communication and not only rely on on, on on this media. Okay, so let's cut back for a moment, back in time. Let's pretend we have that time machine. Go back to 1976, was it? Uh, disco music playing everywhere. You're wearing bell bottoms. You have big Jew froey hair, and you start writing letters with mom. And how did you know what happens next? Feel free, I'll be the answer. What? How did you know this is beyond just letters? And you wanted to travel to Israel. You wanted him to come visit you in Israel, and you wanted to meet each other. How did I know? Yeah. Uh, the letters were good. Mm -hmm. uh, he writes well. Yeah. Um, that matters. It matters to me. Again, and I, I place a lot of, imp a great deal of importance on that. And, uh, I, I liked who he was through the letters. Uh, I came out of a relationship. I'm sure that played a great big role there. Um, I you had just come out of a relationship? I, I had just come out of a relationship, a kind of a long one. And, uh, I, you know, you can say I was on the ribbon. You can say anything you want. But here we are 35 years later, and we are so good. Way to crash the boards, Pop. Yeah, look at that. Talk about rebound. She finally said some sports uh, metaphor. I'm proud oh of her. Oh, my God, yeah. I'm taking that one back. <laughs> <laughs> She's a regular uh, meta world piece. And so you decide to fly to Israel. Exactly. And you guys were, you're, you're, you're supposed to stay in a hotel. You're planning on it. And, and I did for, for about, you know, maybe four hours. Uh huh. 
And uh, once I saw mom and, and vice versa, she saw me. And the next thing you know, the plans for staying in the hotel and visiting other people. Well, but the main goal, of course, was to meet mom. Oh, <laughs> I got to put that very correctly and accurately. So once mom, once we saw each other, the next thing you know, I'm going to mom's place. And uh, from the well, moment you told we- him, check out of the hotel. I came to the hotel and I asked the guy at the reception how, because he was in Haifa, which is another town. And I asked him, uh, how is he? And he said, he's a really nice guy. I just spoke to him and for a long time and he's a really nice guy and stuff. So I called him up and he came downstairs to the lobby and I see this gorgeous, uh, guy with, with the most beautiful green eyes, which you and Ronnie got. And you have and, them as well. And, yeah, but I didn't get mine from him. And, uh, <laughs> I would pray and, to God that's true. And a beautiful, beautiful olive skin, which I hate him for because in the winter I'm so white and ooh, and he's so olivey and ooh. And, uh, <laughs> and I, I looked at him and we just, I don't know, maybe we exchanged three sentences, maybe three and a half. Yeah. And I said, okay, let's go up to your room, pack up your bag and let's go to my parents home now it was the weekend where, and, uh, where i lived and i lived in jerusalem i was uh i was studying finishing my uh, master's and teaching at a high school but i came for the weekend as well as uh, a three-week um vacation passover vacation so i had three weeks so uh, we went up to his room for a moment there i had some butterflies and i thought oh maybe this is too quick because uh he's i had never in my life seen a messier hotel room. <laughs> <laughs> and, and i got only, that from him too I, yes and he had only been there like five minutes so a I, chip off the know, old mess <laughs> and but uh but it it just fl- it, it just really flowed it was it was really i don't know if you probably saw Reruns of the Love Boat, right? Oh yeah, the, the show. Exciting so, and new. Exactly. So the I can't sing boat. it, but but that was like a Love Boat thing. It was it was a, a certain framed picture in time, which uh, we I stepped out of my my routine and my usual life, and they definitely stepped out of his. And we were together, and we were together in this frame, and it worked. And we were together, and we were we maybe we slept for like one hour in that whole time that he was there. It was incredible. We were talking and talking and talking. What, and in the first few days? The whole time. Well, yeah. The whole time. It was amazing. Barely slept for days? Yeah. Was this oh, a CIA yeah. interrogation or oh. is this Collect- romance? Collecting a lot yeah. of stamps, looking at her coin collection. <laughs> no, so, no, but I really mean... We if that's a euphemism for sex, Dad, nice. I, that... Okay, but we. I also, just I do I don't even, I don't even want to know the answer to that. To be no, honest I, with I'm you. not Ish. going to give what? it to you. But yes, and, <laughs> <laughs> hilarious. And we uh, and and we we talked to no end, and and I found there a, a really lovely human being who wasn't afraid to be vulnerable, and I love that. And so you decided to get married. How many days Probably after five six, six, six days in? And there was a lot of other. We didn't get married no, six but, days later. But you, just, but, you got but engaged six days. But technically, and we didn't get engaged. There was no engagement. But we decided. We decided, decided to get married. That's yeah. engagement. Yeah. It's called being engaged, right? And it was a lot of technical issues because, for one, mom had never been in an airplane before. Right. She had never left her country before. So there was a lot of things that could have. She could. She might have said, "Hey, you know, I don't like to fly. I don't like to leave my country." There were a lot of issues we could have had that would have killed. You guys could have just kept writing letters forever and never lived in the yeah, same I city. Yeah, I love writing letters. That would have been good. And then we would have <laughs> been writing on Facebook even today, years later. <laughs> Interesting. So you guys decide after six days to get married, and you guys were married how much long? 
How much later? Well, I think about seven more weeks till mom actually, seven to eight weeks until mom, in a very accelerated way, got herself to L.A. from Israel. And then we lived together in this uh, beautiful uh, townhouse. Townhouse with the waterbed, which to this day she's not forgiven me for. I mean, not that the only <laughs> living on, was the waterbed. I, I come from Israel, okay? We go the first <laughs> night I arrived there. We go up to, to his bedroom, and I see this huge black bed because it had like this black, hairy cover, bed cover and stuff. And I'm really <laughs> tired, right? Because I'd been flying for like 97 hours. So I go and I kind of like plop myself on the bed and boom it rises on the other side i got so scared (laughs) (laughs) really and i never got over that fear we eventually got rid of the bed it was like the parting of the the waves in the ocean and you know ten commandments (laughs) that kind of deal at this time your english skills were not amazing were they no uh, i i wrote very well in english uh i read pretty well in english i spoke very poorly now we understand why you hid behind the letters (laughs) that's good has your english gotten better since not by a lot (laughs) (laughs) so then i guess the the question is so from do you guys advise people to go with their gut that strongly or do you think in modern life you know people are getting married later and later and no i'm almost 50 i'm not married dad always says no and and i agree with him it's you know it worked for us and it was different time and different circumstances different situation uh no, and first of all, there is no one answer for everybody, luckily, because then we would all marry the same man or woman and live in the same house, right. you know, and we are all different, and, and thankfully so. So uh, whatever works for people, uh, some people have very strong intuitions, and they go and, and they get married immediately, and they work, but some don't. Right. Uh, basically, I would say that, yeah, it's a really low percentage situation if you do that, but I would say play with your guts, like mom says, not literally play with your guts. But, that would be gross. And uh, if you feel that it's the right <laughs> ability to, to go for it and really you know, deal with your instincts, then the only thing where it could really make your decision much more solidified in, in terms of uh, success probability, and that is uh, just live together. You play with your, you know, with your instinct. You come over. Your you gut. live together. So you encourage people to live in sin. I absolutely do. Remember, remember, <laughs> you know, Woodstock ran right through, you know, that kind of deal. Woodstock ran school, through your school, yes. I don't stand the bit I do about your, exactly. your, uh, pot days. Well, catches, whatever, you know, whatever they want to, you know, see us on. Oh, yeah, you can go to YouTube and just search Nate Glebe and you will see my father's, uh, stand up debut at the Hollywood Improv, by the way, uh, which comes right after I tell a story about my dad and I eating pot brownies together. So you can check that out. So trust But you're hilarious thank when, you, thank you. when you're stoned, it. especially. Well, I appreciate that. And so basically. <laughs> I'm not even sure it's fully a compliment, but it is. So I tr- suppose. Trust your instincts and then also live together. And then that's going to kind of make a lot of the things that you're not sure of for the couples out there. Uh, it, it'll certainly bring things to uh, a clear definition and, and fruition. So and, don't do what you guys did. Understood. Uh, well, yeah, we, uh, and we, just uh, one more sentence yeah. about that. Uh, don't be so afraid. 
really. I mean, I think people are developing. Such, the, the longer you wait, the more afraid you are. Right. Wow. Don't be so afraid. And people get together. It's human nature to need another person to live with, to be with, uh, to share life with. It's a good thing. Right. So, so don't be so afraid. I mean, find a golden medium, of course. Don't be stupid like we were. I mean, we, we did well, but don't do that. But don't be afraid. Take, you know, take a bold step. And, and really, dad always says, let's say you got divorced at the end. It's also not the end of life. It's not. It's true. I have to curse just a little bit now and say, you just might, you know, go ahead, but just don't mind fuck this thing. Right. And, and basically go for it. And, and like I said, if it didn't work out, you didn't lose your virginity. And, and you basically uh, can move on from that. But if you miss the opportunity, if I wouldn't have taken it, if Ziva wouldn't have taken it 35 years ago, we wouldn't be tasting the victory cups that we're going to taste this year and for a long, long time with great kids that we have, like you and Ronnie and stuff, and, and basically all the joys that we had by, by risking it, taking it, and, and going for it. And, and like Ziva said, don't be afraid. But just do the living part afterwards and to make sure. Don't be afraid. Just go very slowly is the point. Uh, not very slowly. Just think and, and well, don't, don't, yeah. don't be shallow. Please don't be shallow because life is about caring and, and, and paying bills and taking care of sick people and all of that. Uh, that's, that's what it's about. Don't be shallow. Find someone who is a worthwhile person with, with decency, with values, with, with, uh, with care. That, you can't go wrong with that. You're again but bringing up things I've never heard yeah, of. At the end of the sense day. sense of humor. You never heard of that. I definitely know I that know, is. At I the know. end of the day, it's the most important decision you're going to make. Yeah. So that's what you have to keep in mind. Most important decision you're going to make. So give it the attention you would that people do when they do all their searching on a car to see what the right price would be or on a computer. Do this. Do well, your due you're diligence. Kind of, they're contradicting each other because you're saying it's the most important decision you're going to make. Do due diligence. Live together. And you're saying don't be afraid. So how do you reconcile those two? Honey, all of life is taking risks. I mean, the second you get up in the morning and leave the front door, you're taking risks. You can't not take risks because there are, there are always reasons not to take risks. Always. Many. And probably many of them are really good. But no, it's, it's, we are not contradicting. We're saying think and, and, and use your, your good sense and your common sense, but then actually take a bold step and do it. Right. Don't I'm keep on wavering back and forth, back for where? Where are you going if you're wavering? Nowhere. I totally want to dive in and go with what you're saying, but part of me doesn't. <laughs> okay, part of the thing, in closing that part, what I would consider, and I'm going to quote Ronald Reagan, who said, oh, in terms of having peace, have the peace with the Soviets, but verify, verify. So my, my whole point in that metaphor, which I hopefully people will get, is to do that. Go out there, have fun, and then test it out, and then verify by living together and see if that's the right decision, which will impact you the rest of your life. That's true. That's very true. So, Mom, you are a woman. I don't know. I had once a student. Mm -hmm. Can I say it really quickly? I had once a student. I I taught, as you said, at the uh, Orthodox Jewish High School. 
and uh, uh, there is this thing in Judaism that uh, boys and, and girls or men and women both don't touch each other unless they are married to each other. Or, of course, as, as, as they shouldn't. Of course, and so boys are not allowed to touch girls and vice versa. And I had one student who eventually became a rabbi and he was extremely religious and he went to Israel and he was a, a bad student, but he was a great kid. He went to Israel and he came back and he brought me a ring. And when he brought me as his teacher and he came back and he ran to me because I was the only teacher who didn't throw him out of my class and uh, <laughs> he ran to me and he hugged me so kids were standing around he was 18 years old uh, and saying how can you hug her and she's a woman and he says and I'll never forget it he said Ziva is not a woman. And I took it as the compliment it was meant. I was thinking instead of his bringing an apple to kiss the teachers behind, he was giving her a ring. Yeah, but that's a little more of a commitment. And I was very, very threatened by it. (laughs) Um, Now, so you're a woman, Mom, and there's two things I wanted to share, two stories from this week. One, I, I read a story in the Wall Street Journal that... While more women are now primed to land CEO roles to start taking over companies in the near term, they're, they're getting higher and higher positions in companies. The numbers are still very, very low right now. Um, they're trying to groom more women for the corner office. Um, but especially because their boards are intensifying pressure on them to hire more diverse, uh, upper, upper management teams. But currently, Women are CEOs at just 35 of the Fortune 1000 companies. Uh, do you think this needs to change or, or will it just all in due time? I don't know that it needs to change because, you know, it, it's, it, it's evolutionary. It's things sometimes just happen organically. Sometimes trying to force things. I know it sounds so right and so feminist. And of course you should be feminist and, and you should be for it and you should be pushing. No question. And, and, and of course the pay should be equal and the, no question about it. But really men and women are not the same. Right. And, and, the more we attempt to try to show that they are the same, we are missing the point. No one is going to win at the end the argument if they are trying to show that men and women are the same. Men don't give birth to children. They just don't do that. Another time you have to so, watch Arnold Schwarzenegger's Junior, because I beg to differ. <laughs> no. Um, but, but, yeah, because I remember you also in the past saying that like you, didn't believe that women should serve in the front lines of the military. You don't. You didn't believe that that the women should be fighter pilots in war. I'm I'm surprised you remember that. Thank you. I still don't believe that because not that they're not capable. Of course they're capable. There is no question. Even though still there are differences. Men are more manly for the most most part. And don't kill me for that. Of course there are me, women who are more manly than men. Manly women out there, don't be offended but, by that. My yeah, mom does please, not mean to not, exclude you. Do not be a girly man. That's but, very, very good then. But uh, there are things that women really can't take take over, in my opinion, because uh, with all due respect to all your listeners and stuff, women have their periods, women get pregnant, sometimes they don't know they're pregnant. There are many things that are involved, hormonal things. I don't think that I would want uh, my safety as, as a small country Israeli speaking, uh, protected by women fire pi- uh, fighter pilots. I, I really don't. Because what do you think? Because they're on their period, they might 
be in a bad mood and drop bombs no, prematurely? Or No, I don't think. But I think that they can be uh, more tense, more edgy, more more uh, less patient. Less, uh, I don't know. Many Amen. things can happen. Amen. But I, I don't, I just don't think so. Now, can they be CEOs? Of course, obviously. But I wouldn't want to be, I, because I really, it doesn't appeal to me. Now, that doesn't mean that women shouldn't be CEOs. They should be, and they should get the prettiest offices if they can get them, of course, obviously. Now, but that brings up, that brings me to the next thing I want to ask you. How did you feel, uh, a week ago when Hillary Rosen, Obama's friend and sometimes advisor, got in hot water for saying that Ann Romney, Mitt Romney's wife, who raised five children, was a stay-at-home mom her whole life, never worked a day in her life? Yeah, and well, it it sound it came off worse than it really was because it's it's an election year and everybody is is really hot on on every topic topic and ready to attack. Uh, she was she never worked a day in her life. <laughs> I mean, it's okay to say she never worked a day in her life because she didn't, and 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 she is not an example for a, a mother of five who is bringing up her children and trying to budget the family, the family's uh, meager earnings and to, right. to stretch it for the month. So. It's a little foolish for him to say, I asked my wife. You could say, I asked women in the community, and there are plenty of Mormons who, who live, you know, in, in, in poverty and so forth. Uh, but to give his wife as an example, uh, it wasn't the best example. But, uh, uh, picking on her so much that, uh, on, on Hillary that, that she said that, and, and how could she have said it? That also is a little bit out of, uh, right. proportion. I, I really do think that. And Pop, I know sometimes you, while you are a registered Democrat, sometimes you you kind of waver a little bit between who you would support. What are your thoughts going into the election now? Are you are you thinking you're going to support Obama, or are you open to to, to Romney as a possible vote? I'm, I'm possibly, uh, you know, I'm, I'm open to it. I basically vote for the man, and I I was a Reagan Democrat actually, and your you know your former your your late grandpa was a, was an ardent Republican, as right. I'm sure you know. Yeah, he's my hero. So basically, you're my hero too, Papa. Thank you. I'm I'm more leaning towards being an independent, and I just take the case and I take the individual, and I and I view a lot of options. I so, what of. is it that would make you vote for Romney, or what would make you vote for Obama? Basically, if I would go for Romney, it would be that the economy is still in such horrible shape that I would hope that if and if and if I did go, you know, for Romney. I would say maybe he could perhaps do a better job with the way that the economy is, is doing so badly, and that would be one one aspect that I would consider. On the other hand, you know, there's a lot of aspects that I love about Obama, which is why I voted for him the, the last time. And, Mom, what are you, straight Obama still? Yes, and without a doubt, I'll vote for Obama, and uh, and I, I find it difficult, even though on, on a theoretical level, I'm I'm not really a Democrat very much anymore. I'm more of an independent. As I grow older, I see that the two parties have a lot more similarities than than differences, That's true. and I and I don't like it. It makes me unhappy because I was a, a diehard Democrat uh, all my life. But, but that's how I feel and that's how I evolved and, uh, I will vote for Obama one. I really like him and, uh, and I, and I think he could do better, but I think he could do a lot worse. I, I find it difficult for me to vote for a Republican because of the, the platform of the Republican party. I can't agree with, 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 
with their platform. So that's, it will take a lot for me to vote for. What do you mean? Just the not wanting to, to, to fund poor people and wanting to not help people who are dying and sick and old and all that and kind of stuff. And, w- and all those things. W- w- yeah. Women's rights. Yeah. I don't think any of those are important. I feel like it's important for the rich to keep their money. I, well, so, so you, you should be voting for. For Romney, for because, Romney, okay. Yeah, he will keep his money. I promise you that. But, but in all in all seriousness, uh, had there been an independent who, who was more was an intellectual like Obama, uh, I probably would have voted for. What about Ron Paul? Are you a Ron Paul fan? I very much so, but, but very much so. But he can't run a country. Of, He's not realistic. Yeah, that's the thing. I would have. I loved him. I, and and I, I want to adopt him. He's so cute. He is like an adorable and, little yeah, little. Yeah, and he's and he's very spider smart. monkey. But he's very smart and, 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 and I, I'm a great believer in, in civil liberties and, and it really matters to me a great deal. Uh, but I, one, I think is, is much, too much to the extreme for me. And two, he really, I, I don't think he can run the country. I really don't. You, you want to get rid of every department of government and yeah, you want to just, what will you do? not be involved in any foreign skirmish. It's yeah, like, well, yeah. sometimes you got to defend though, yourself. Even though I love it when he, when he attacks the, uh, the, the wars, he says, enough, stop sending all the soldiers or, or to, to, to Iraq and to Afghanistan and God knows where else you send them. Stop sending them. Keep them here. Guard the border. True. And uh, I, I'm very much with him on that. Very true. Uh, uh, Santorum had a Lindsay Lohan photo op this last week uh, at the White House Correspondents' Dinner. Santorum was there, and apparently Greta Van Susteren um, invited as her one guest, Lindsay Lohan, for some reason. And uh, apparently uh, Santorum asked Lohan to take a picture of him with Greta Van Susteren, and then when Lohan hands him the camera back, he apparently took a photo of her by herself just standing there. When asked by TMZ later that night if he did indeed take a picture of Lindsay Lohan, he goes, quote, I took a picture with a lot of people today. I don't know who it is. Do you understand it, Dad? Are you a Lohan fan? I'm just saying maybe Santo had too much rum in his Santorum. Santo had who's Santo? Santorum. Santorum. Papa, uh, you got to keep the mic the same distance from your face each time because you're sometimes just like six feet away and sometimes just like an inch away and the volume levels are very different. Okay, sorry. That distance is good. Yeah, can I say something about Santorum? Now that we've gotten the audio details out of the way, sure. Yeah. Uh, and, well, I... I really don't like him, and I'm glad he's out of the. Actually, I'm not glad he was entertaining right. and amusing, but uh, he he's such a religious nut all of a sudden, and he and the, the frightening thing about it is that he wasn't born into that. He didn't grow up like that. He became that. Is that right? Yes, he became that. You become that. My goodness. What do you mean he became that? He had a more moderate of course, positions before. Of course. You're saying he did that just for this election, or he's become no, that over no, 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 the last? No, 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 no. No, I think it's true and pure. Ew, how pure can that be? Right. But, but yeah, yeah I think he, I heard a soundbite of him this week. It was a mashup of some of his most absurd statements. And one of his quotes, he actually said that in, in his defense of not even supporting abortion in case of rape and incest, he said that an, abo- that a pregnancy caused during a rape while caused horrifically is still a gift. What an ass. Right? He's such a jackass. What an really. asshole. I did not say that. You said that. I, I, well, you said ass. I said I asshole. I said jackass. That's, that's a donkey. 
You're afraid to, to curse? Yeah, I'm very shy. You don't I curse don't, much, actually. You're not no, much of a cursor. No, Father and I are no. big cursers. It's very hard not to <laughs> not curse being around me. <laughs> um, brings us to that story about you guys cursing when you were kids. But anyway. Oh, you mean the time in kindergarten where I got expelled or I got in trouble for throwing a chair across the room and calling somebody a cocksucker? Yeah. You know where you got the cocksucker thing from? <laughs> <laughs> it's like midnight confession. We don't need any mommy dearest. We... Yeah, what kind of house did you guys raise me? I learned the words like cocksucker at age five. Well, you know, it was a house full of love, and that's the bottom line. Full of love and filthy language. Hey, look at me now. I even host a political podcast, politically themed podcast, and I'm swearing up a storm. My mom just said ass. Regrets. I've had a few. (laughs) Can I can I pick a bone with you about? Uh, Ah, sure. when when you were making fun of, of uh, we just like to round up brown people yeah. and in Arizona. Yeah, you had a weird look on your face during that. And it was my best one. What do you mean? It was a, <laughs> I worked on that one a long time. Yeah. Um, it's very easy to criticize that. Yeah. But, but you know, these people are illegal aliens. Okay. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's say that the, the worst thing that could they could do is 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 be a burden on society regarding, you know, uh, uh, healthcare and so forth. And it takes uh, millions or billions. I can't tell the difference between those two mm-hmm. uh, of dollars. One billion dollars. Uh, past 20 bucks, I'm gone. Right. But, but let's say. But then we started finding out about crime, you know, criminals and, and drug cartels and all of that. Then, then it becomes a real big issue. Now I'm coming from a, a small country, as we said, called Israel. And, uh, there are many Arabs in Israel who are Israeli citizens. There is Israeli Arabs. But there are many who, who Palestinians who come from the uh, West Bank and, and the Gaza Strip and right. so forth with, with, you know, work permits and, and so forth. Now, uh, there are uh, suicide bombers in Israel, not lately, thankfully, but there have been many, many over the years. Right. They, the police had to regulate that. So they would stop every bus that went into the airport uh, and looked through and, and asked two or three people to, to show their uh, driver's license. Uh, now, yeah, I get that, that it feels horrible and it looks horrible and, and, and how could you be so racist because only brown people are, are Arabs and you right. ask them, you don't ask the blonde, blue-eyed Russian immigrant for him. But really you can't stop every person because there, nothing will ever happen in the country. So you have to move things along and if you see someone who looks suspicious, suspicious to you and he looks very, uh, uh, mid-eastern looking, very Arab looking and, and, and he's going to the airport and, and he looks at you, you think suspiciously, you are better off stopping him. And they do the same thing. Yeah. Just to draw an analogy. Okay. And, and many and many a, a suicide bomb event had been, uh, prevented due to, to that. Sure. To, so, so you can't know Katrina. But what are you going mean, to say, Bob? No, nothing is really black and white. I mean, it's all, there's a lot of middle parts. I mean, even in the state of Israel, where they suddenly put up a wall, which people say, oh my gosh, such a conservative thing. Once a wall was put up, the the incidence of, of having suicide attacks was diminished considerably. So it isn't black and white. you, you got to just take the, the things that you... But in Arizona, it, it's not a matter of suicide attacks. It's a matter of 
people coming here to seek a better life and who are doing jobs that nobody wants to do. Of course. And you're rounding them up and throwing them in, in, in prisons just to be dicks. And that sounds, not necessarily, but that sounds beautiful. Like it would be perfect for a children's book with illustrations. <laughs> However, yeah. it's not necessarily so because when, when one family does it or, or, or uh, 30 families do it, it's it's not it's not that uh, it's not that big of an effect on on a society but when when hundreds of thousands of families do it it's a huge drainage of, on, so so then it becomes a problem and i have not yet even touched upon the drugs and what about and the, the killings because of that and so forth right. so i don't know i it's i again I'm so glad that I'm not in politics and I'm not a, a, a governor and, and I don't have to worry about these things. But uh, had I been one, I am not so sure that I would have said, oh, we are not stopping right. brown people. And that is I the might count- have stopped brown people. And, and you know me, I'm very liberal and I really love brown people. Uh-huh. But that's not the point. Right. I think immigration is such that you've got to do stuff the right way. There's, there's rules. You've got to actually come in. You've got to come in and do things the right way. You want to be a citizen. It isn't just come. I agree with that. You Part shouldn't. of the government's job is the sovereignty of its borders. And, right. and, and, and then when the health care prices and, and crises that we have, it's, you know, there's a lot of issues. I mean, rules are made to be adhered to. And the argument, well, some would say rules are made to be broken. That's, that's the more famous saying. Yeah. But, um, well, I have a different one. Rules have to be adhered to. There's no, it's my, true. My conservative side. <laughs> right. No, it's true. I mean, the, and that's the kind of argument that they made to the Supreme Court was that we're just trying to enforce the federal government's laws. Right. Exactly. And you guys are not enforcing them. We're saying, exactly. well, we'll still turn them over to you, but we're going to, we're going to capture it and find these people. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess that's a fair right of the state to want to keep their borders sovereign. I just think it needs to make sure the law is not written in a way that can be used discriminatorily against people who are, who look a certain way, but who are not that. So how, do you, how does that line stop then for the rest of history in, in that state? And if it spreads to the whole country, you're going to have anybody who looks Mexican be able to be harassed because so certain people come across. I think, I think people who are already here. Yes, you stop the criminals, you stop the people who are running drugs, you stop all that, but I think what you need to do is stop the future problem. Build a fence, finish the fence, patrol your borders, do what Ron Paul says and bring troops back. But don't harass for the rest of time people just because they look a certain way. And I wasn't advocating harassing uh, people. Right. Uh, no, I'm, I'm not advocating harassing, but but really, to the end of time, I don't know what the end of time is. I, I, I know that, yeah, stopping future things, that's fantastic, but but you have real problems here and now. Right. So, uh, the, so that means that the people who are here, they can sell and buy drugs and kill people because they are, they are getting into their drug territory and stuff. That's okay because they're already here. Clearly, it's no, not. No, we should stop a drug so, trade, but, but how about but innocent how people? who are picking berries I so so probably you wouldn't check that then uh, their driver or whatever their permits but if you see a person driving a I, I don't know uh, a car and it's really low because it looks like maybe 30 people are, are hitting <laughs> underneath the seats I, I think you you can stop the car I mean it's not pleasant and it's not nice and I wouldn't be want to be the person who stops it I would love to say to be the one who say come in let me give you some water and and, and tangerines but but you <laughs> right. can't I mean I've said even on the issue of like racial profiling at the airports, I don't think that's a problem. Exactly. Like I've said this in my act before a bunch of times that you know if 
people of Arab descent don't want to be profiled at the airport, try this for a, while, for a change. Try smiling when you go this through security. Try not to look like you're, you have a bomb strapped to your testicles while going through security. Because I look so Middle Eastern too, but I don't get unnecessarily searched at the airport because I'm a goofy guy who's walking through with my so shoes cool. untied. I'm not walking through with like an insane look on my face. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that would help. It does Even definitely help. Even though you help. just gave them a way to <laughs> how to not be Damn. stopped at the airport. <laughs> I just totally get just all they have to do is smile. They won't get stopped. Absolutely. Now, um, you've been talking a lot about Israel and about Israel's you know vulnerability in the Middle East, which brings up another story I wanted to cover. Um, former Israeli Prime Minister Ehud Ber- Ehud Olmert um, said this week that he believes that Israel should not strike Iran, and that was reported in the Huffington Post. He thinks that. Um, and that's part of a growing chorus of Israeli officials mm-hmm, who are saying mm-hmm. the exact same thing, that a military strike on Iran's nuclear facilities would be premature mm-hmm. and would be a bad idea. He said, quote, there's no reason this time to talk about a military effort. Sorry, sorry, sorry. There's no reason this time not to talk about a military effort, but, but definitely not to initiate mm-hmm. an Israeli military strike. But on the, on, the, on the flip side, current Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has been warning more and more, kind of striking war drums and saying all things are on the table. We may have to strike. And it seems like he kind of wants to attack. Um, where do you guys stand on this? We as people, where do you stand on it? Well, basically, they've got to start to show the world, Iran, that they would like maybe Israel's right to exist? I mean, don't you think that that's a real basic tenet that, that a, a, a people you say, and to, to say that for the leader of Iran to say that, uh, oh, the Holocaust never occurred? I mean, give me a break. How can you even ha- have discussions with someone like that? Right. You've got to come on board, recognize the people's right to exist, treat them with respect like you want to be treated with respect, and don't threaten to wipe them off the, off the face of the earth. So basically, do all the best you can with sanctions. Do all the best for having the latest things where there could be some use, where they could have some use of, of uranium, and, and just as long as we and, and, and have them let us check all their facilities. And if they have nothing to hide, I'm not one for you know getting into a war. But I mean, you got to do everything. Because see, the thing about Israel. They can't afford one loss. Right. Everyone can have a loss. You can have a bad war. But should they strike preemptively? I mean, that's the well. That, that's the question. If, if their people that are running the country feel that it's in their best interest that if, if you know, a couple of years from now, whenever that might be, that Israel's uh, uh, right to survive would be uh, wholly threatened, then I would say you do whatever they have but to do. But do you feel it's, it's, it's now? Well, then they know better. You know, you know I, I'm not one. That's, I mean, I feel that a country has a right to make the decisions for their survival. What do you say, Mom? Because, you know, your sister lives there, and a lot of our family lives there in Israel. What do, what do you think? Do we go in and bomb Iran and get rid of the nuclear facility, but also create a lot more animosity in that region, yeah. certainly too? Yeah, I well, I I am I'm not pacifistic completely, but I'm close. Right. So uh, I even even though I served in the army, but uh, I I always think that that it's it's almost always not always but it's almost always too soon to uh to to go to war to at- and and attacking is is going to war I mean attacking their nuclear that will be war it's, it won't be like they did in the eighties with Iraq with the uh, with, with the, the atomic yeah. yeah yeah what will they do. What? Well, Israel what is went it? in and they actually got rid of a lot of their. That, you got to talk into the microphone, Pop. We need to keep it right in front of your mouth. Sorry, no worries. But uh, so Israel had to do what they did, and they and they bombed some things that they had to do so that they, to delay to delay their program in Iraq. 
Yes. Yes. This was and, done successfully. And that did not create a war, so why not? No, because that was then, and this is now, and I think that, uh, uh, well, there are big problems in Iran. I mean, Ahmadinejad is not very strong. Uh, the one who is strong is the, uh, the, uh, Khomeini. Khomeini. Right, Khomeini. the Ayatollah. Uh, yeah, Khomeini. It's not the Khomeini. There's talks that, that he was, wants to get rid of Ahmadinejad. Exactly, exactly. So, so many a time in history, uh, history is the best teacher, of course. And uh, many a time in history, countries attacked other countries, uh, to, to divert attention from, from, uh, internal problems that they were having, political, economical, or, or so forth, so, social. Uh, so, I don't think it would be wise to uh, afford an opportunity uh, to Iran uh, to attack Israel and, create, and turn them into their uh, cause uh, of, of at diverting everybody's attention to that. And uh, uh, by then, you know, Iranians will not rebel and, and so on and so forth, like has been happening with the spring of uh, Arab nations mm-hmm. all around. So... That is one. And the other one is that uh, it's different in Iran now. From what I've read, and I, I read Time. And what do I read? I read Time <laughs> magazine. So from what I've read, and I read it all the time, uh, that it's different than it was in Iraq with the nuclear reactor. It's spread all over the place, in many, many a place, in many, many a, a hiding spot. Right. So uh, it's it's not so easy just to come and attack and, and get rid of one thing and, and then it's clear of nuclear. No. Right. And there it's also, so it's it's also underground thing. So right. you can't find it. So the thing is, that it's, it's not as simple as it was, when, for example, when Israel had the Six-Day War. And they're able to wrap things up in six days. Otherwise, it would have been called the eight-day war. <laughs> so, so basically, you do what you can to make your country survive. And and the fact of the matter is, a lot of the Arab countries themselves realize that Iran is is they're not in love with Iran. And I just don't think I think Israel, look, Israel and the United States will do what's in the best interest right. of of, uh, of our good friend Israel. And still on the topic of Islamic extremism and um. And the way that our country is reacting to it, another story that occurred this last week is the Freedom Tower, what's being built in place of the World Trade Center that was knocked down, um, has, has officially now – they just put in steel rods this week that makes it officially now the tallest building in New York City. Right. And once it's finished, including its antenna, it's going to be one of the tallest buildings in the world. It failed. Third tallest yeah, in the world? Thanks. Yeah. I couldn't find the, the actual yeah. number. You could have asked me. Well, I just did. <laughs> I just asked you. Will you relax? Ask your mom. I ju- I'm trying to. <laughs> Good Lord. He's a tall building referee. <laughs> yeah, seriously. It's like, are you a building inspector I'm yourself? A, I'm a building expert. That's interesting to know. I didn't know you had all these extra skills, mother. Very nice. <laughs> but here's my question. All the headlines kept saying, we're back on top. We're the biggest and the best again. Is this part of the problem, our need to always outdo and to be the best and to shove it in people's faces? Should we be humbled by what happened or should we just say, we're going to prove we're even better than we were? You know, I don't know. I don't know that there is an answer. I'm sure that some people feel this way and some people feel that way. And there is not one answer that will satisfy everybody because people feel differently toward it and about it. Uh, Many people, I'm sure, feel that because... we, we lost those buildings and, and the lives, more importantly, of people in them uh, in such a horrific way. It is important to, to show that we are big and strong right. and high. And, and other people 
probably like myself would say, are you kidding me? That's what matters. Right. You know, instead of that, create more libraries and schools and, and, and centers for, for understanding and, and integration right. and peace. And, right. and that Not protest be, the, the yeah, mosque that wants yeah, to grow five feet course, away and make that, religious tensions inflamed in the course, country. That, in my opinion, that would be the way. But I also respect the right of, of people, uh, not just the right, but the opinion of people who feel that, oh, you know, they lost loved ones or, or they were attached to it one way or another. And the only way for them to feel a teeny bit better is to see that here we are back on top again. Right. I understand that. And I, Bob, I just what do you wouldn't think? do it, you're, but you're, I understand that. You're not going to please all the people all the time. You're going to please some of the people some of the time. And the fact of the matter is that America has to has to have pride again in saying we're the USA. We make things in America, whether it's that tower that we're talking about it's taken two fucking long, ten years to even I get know, it start being built. And just basically everything U.S., they start building things here again. Not only that as a symbol, which is important also, but the point is, look, everything is not built here. It's ridiculous. Right. When I get Dang. a pair of uh, New Balance shoes, I'm so happy because it says that it's made in the U.S.A., right. you know? Dane Cook had a very funny joke I loved. He goes, he goes, I hate when you go... Nowadays, you go to the bookstores, borders, and all these places, you see people lying down with their legs in the air, reading books, <laughs> lying on the floor. We used to build steel in this country. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, funny. That's, that's really funny. And then talking about tensions in the world, we'll get to a couple later stories in a second as we're approaching Twitter answers and, and the thunder round, and we're going to be winding down pretty soon. But um, this, just a couple days ago, was the 20th anniversary of the L.A. riots. And us yeah. three lived there, yeah. lived the, right, right in the heart of it, you know, yeah. during that crazy time. So happy anniversary, LA riots. <laughs> Very exciting. Um, what was that experience like for you guys seeing that, seeing your city get torn apart like that? Well, for me, the first experience, it brought back memories in 1965 when I was a kid and living in the, in the San Fernando Valley and we had the 1965 riot. Mm -hmm. So I knew that this wasn't necessarily. And what was that riot caused by? Just, t uh, you know, racial tensions. There was no single act that precipitated it like right. this one. But basically, uh, it was deja vu all over again to a much w worse scale. And it was like the perfect storm where all these things happened. It was just god awful. And mom, who's been such a big fan of Los Angeles and loved it from the day that she got here 35 years ago. That was one time when she was very, very sour on the city of L.A. And... uh yeah, it, uh, me, uh, for me, it was horrific. I, I reacted very badly and it stayed with me for a very, very long time. Months upon months. I, I hated LA. I, I loved LA until then. I, I loved it so I love it now. I loved it so much. I was so happy every morning getting up and, and enjoying it. Really loved it. And then that happened and, and I hated people. I couldn't look at people because they might have been part of that or they might have had thought of being part of, of, of the looting and all of that. I, I saw a face of, of the human race, which I don't think belongs on, on the human face. And it really, it, it hurt me very deeply. And, uh, and it took me many, many months to, to start being able. I, I'm a smiler. I smile at everybody. And I'm a hugger. I hug everybody. I, I couldn't smile and I couldn't hug uh, people whom I didn't know because it, it just, I, I really didn't feel good about people. I do now though. Okay. <laughs> it took you 20 years to heal? No, unless. Yeah. I remember I was a kid back then. I was 13 or 14 years old. And for me, it was fascinating. I thought it was just one of the most interesting things it I've ever is? seen. I remember that night, 
I was the night that it broke out. I, I had I was going to go to a Dodger game, and I was going with my friend Adam Gordon and our and this Israeli guy actually. Jackie Levy's father, Ronnie, this like, he ended up being in that movie Zohan. Don't mess with the Zohan, the Adam Sandler movie. <laughs> drove us, right? Why? And we're about to leave and, they, and they're picking us up at our house. Pop, I remember you said that you had a don't, bad feeling. I said, don't go. You said, said this is, shit's going to go down in the city. Yeah, exactly. And it wasn't, you know, and what, I, did I, you, what did your genius mother say? Go, have fun. Have fun. So we went and then during the, the, Dodger game, I'll never forget the PA announcer, the seventh ending comes on and he, he said, I remember the exact word he said, due to civil unrest oh, in the city, Jesus. you should not take <gasps> home the 10 or 110 freeways. Wow. Take this path or that path. Well, I was with this crazy Israeli guy who said, oh, forget this. <laughs> I'm going to take the freeway he said to take. So he literally gets on, I think it was the 110 or whatever, on the freeway. We're not supposed to take 110 to the 10 home. Goes onto a closed freeway, and I'm driving home. I'm 13 years old, and I see the city on fire. Yeah. Literally every few Jesus. buildings. It was an inferno. It was yeah. lit yeah. ablaze completely. Yeah. And that part was fascinating because you feel safe on the, on the highway. As soon as we exited, then it was scary. Wow. You would see people like running and walking around the streets all oh, belligerent oh. looking. And I, it was like pre-Reginald Danny getting beat yeah, up, but yeah, it was yeah. like you just had, you had a sense of that vibe. Of course. And it was very scary. And, um, and I remember then the next day, um, we, we went to a, to school the next day. It was a Friday. And, um, the vice principal of school, Mr. Rutberg, who liked me because I always got in trouble. So he knew me very well, came <laughs> he in. <didn't> love you. <laughs> <laughs> he came into our math class, Mr. Moscow's class. And he said to me, uh, Ben, I know you, Ben, do me a favor. I need you to help me run. A lot of parents are coming and taking their kids out of, out of school because apparently the riots are getting closer to us. And so I said, sure. He said, Ben, just please go in there quietly and discreetly and get the kids out of there. Being quiet and discreet is not my forte. <laughs> I host a fucking podcast at this point in my life. You know what I mean? So I literally went into each classroom and I was, I looked panic stricken and I had to go in there. I'm like, is, is John Pemberworth here? And they're like, yes. And I'm like, Johnny, you gotta come. Your parents are here to get you out of there. And, and everybody's like, what's wrong? And I'm like, I'm not supposed to say anything, but the city's on fire and the rioters are coming very close to us. They just passed the, the, the Beverly Center. They're on the way to us. And uh, I was never used as a courier <laughs> pigeon funny. ever again. But, uh, you know, on the flip side, the, the negative parts is that a lot of things haven't changed. A lot of the, the unemployment's very bad nowadays in 2012. And a lot of the conditions. And race relations, certainly, as you they, see with the have, Trayvon Martin case, are not much better in this country either. Exactly. So that's really something that's uh, it's very sad 20 years later. And where are we? But we are. I think we have made strides. So you think we've made sure obviously we have a black president yeah, and things yeah, are getting yeah, better. Yeah. I, and hopefully think, it will be justice with Trayvon. Yeah. I, I think things are getting better. It takes, it takes more than 20 years for things to get better. Like you were saying earlier, some things evolve at a natural exactly. pace. Exactly. You can't, you can't some force things, things. You can't force. They have to, to organically grow. And the famous quote that Rodney King said during the riots, yeah. which is every week in the opening theme song of last week on earth, where he said, can't we all just yeah. get along? I actually have a uh, sound clip for you guys to listen to. This was from an interview with him just a few days ago. It was on NBC News. And um, here is Rodney King being interviewed about his famous words. It has now been 20 years since the brutal beating of Rodney King by four LAPD officers, all of it captured on videotape. And when those officers were acquitted by a jury, it triggered some of the worst and most destructive riots this country's ever seen. 
This week, Lester Holt sat down with Rodney King, asked him about the six simple words he spoke after that verdict that became part of the American lexicon. Troops on the someone had prepared remarks for you, but you yeah. decided not to not to use those. I said no. I'll I'll come from the heart and speak. You know what's in my heart at the time. Can we all um, just get along? Can we all just get along? And that's I meant that from my heart. You know, and still mean it to this day. That's so interesting, isn't it? I mean, I always thought that was those were some of the most eloquent words. Absolutely. That came out of a drug addicted guy who found Absolutely. himself in the middle of this national firestorm. And um, this is one of the most horrific moments in American history, really. And can't we all just get along? That was what was behind me starting the, the Don't Be a Dick Pledge, the same idea. It's like, just can't we all just get along? Can we just, we don't have to be dicks to each other. Do whatever you want. Just don't infringe on somebody right. else's right. happiness. Absolutely. It's the most simple thing. And people don't get it. And for the most part, I don't get it at all. Because for the most part, it really doesn't take more energy to be nice than it does to be not nice. And it's not even just that. What, what, what confounds me about it is that it's worse than that. It's actually far worse for you. Because what does karma course, mean? It means it comes back course, around. When you create tumult, when you of are course. an asshole to people, they're gonna, you're gonna now have enemies who are gonna come back and get you. Same thing we're talking about that Ron Paul's encouraging with us starting these wars. He's the one, only the one who ever talked in these debates about the CIA concept of blowback. Right. These things come back if you rampantly start wars or without true necessity for what you're doing. Obviously, people, these things don't exist in a vacuum. The world spins and it comes back around. Right. Absolutely. So true. So that said, what do you say? Oh, one more story before we go into the Twitter answers and our thunder round. Um, the story that will not go away, the Colombian prostitute scandal keeps unfolding every single week. Um, apparently now the Secret Service is also investigating similar allegations against agents in San Salvador prior to Obama's visit in 2011. Apparently they also were, were, were seen maybe, uh, visiting with prostitutes. And, um, so now the Secret Service implemented a new conduct policy for Secret Service agents traveling abroad. Agents are now prohibited from drinking once the president arrives in the country and from bringing foreigners to their hotel rooms. So, they're gonna, or how, or how about if they actually would, would be forced to take their wives with them on the trips, the Secret Service? That is an idea right there. That would certainly reduce it. Or they're going to have to bring American prostitutes. And keep the business going well here. Exactly. Made in the USA whores. That's, That's a great plan, I think. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> exactly right. And now, Pop, you went to high school in Columbia. I mean, was this a rampant thing? Was Is is prostitution something that that that, that was prevalent even back then there it was it because was very, it was legal there right it was legal and it was just not it was legal and it was prevalent then absolutely it's so interesting it's like i don't even understand what's so wrong about it if you're in a country that's legal okay do what you gotta do no i think it's just a security but they're afraid of security breaches but it's the day before mama well, the day before. Maybe uh, they'd be much more relaxed. They won't be nervous. They won't accidentally shoot somebody. But they, they could be compromised also. Yeah, I'm not sure that, that I think it's so horrific uh, as it, it's made out to be. But I, I really don't know. I really I, I don't have much of an opinion about that. Uh, I, I think that people are too fascinated with sex. The second they hear sex, ooh, 
really the prostitutes will be the ones that will you know break the security codes really yeah it's so unlikely I'm not so sure I don't know but yeah pop mom did you really want to say horrific <laughs> very nice the secret Cute. service will now be assigned chaperones on some trips as well to make sure they're enforcing the new that rules so of conduct and childish isn't that insane? And they're not allowed to drink after, at, after drink within ten hours of and what reporting if, for duty. What if the chaperones drink and and, and prostitutize does 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 yeah. with them? Should they get uh, chaperones as well? They need extra chaperone. They'll be chaperone chaperones. Will what if you just get? What if you just get really? Amazing prostitutes to chaperone them, and then their chaperoning duties may include prostitution. I think that's really cool. There's a lot of ways to do it. I think that's really cool. Uh, or you just take guys who are not sexually inclined, you know, to to the secret service. I don't there think are the, people that's who not are typically not. people who love to carry guns. I don't. <laughs> uh, let's turn to the brain trust with Twitter answers. All right, this week, since my parents are my guests, I ask people on Twitter if there's anything they want to ask my parents to go ahead and ask it. But I also ask people, uh, what's the best thing a parent ever told you or what's something that you hid from your parents? And uh, the answers we have here are a mix of all of those. Um, at Kenton Codner said, my dad always told me not to ruin my life over one night. Hashtag deep. I think that's pretty good advice. It really is a pretty good advice. Yeah. Beautiful, right? I like it. At Alex3Row23 said, ask your parents if you were an accident. So uh, it's a hurtful question, but mom, dad, was I planned? You were completely planned. Come on, less than a year. You were planned, and let me tell you something. You were the greatest Father's Day gift that anyone could ever have. Because for those of you who do not know, our son, Mr. Ben Glebe, was born on Father's Day. Isn't that exciting? Yes. But I think I, I might have been a mistake because you got pregnant like three months into being married. Exactly. After a month and a half of being married, we talked and we decided to to get pregnant. And mostly I decided to get pregnant. And uh, and we did. You guys, and I couldn't have been happier. What do you mean? Mostly you decided you to get you pregnant. pulled the goal, or it was definitely an agreed decision. No, no, it was an agreed decision, but I I decided to mm, get Dad I'm suspect get, of it. Dad could not get pregnant even if he tried. So yeah, we discussed it, and I said mm. I, I really want to have a child, and and uh, we hugged and uh, and we hugged tightly, and, and oh, it was a tight hug. Yeah. That was such a strange detail to add. Um, <laughs> at Cistern Ben TGF said, hid all my tattoos from my dad my entire life. Everyone, even his wife knows, just not ever him. Wow. Did you guys ever keep anything from your parents growing up? Anything, anything significant? I did. You did? Like what? I did. Come clean right now. I, my parents have passed away so long So ago. it's the perfect time. I can tell anything I want. Um, I I had a boyfriend that I my parents didn't want me to be to go out with him because uh my fascination with him was that he he was sitting on the beach at the cafe and he drank beer in a very masculine way and and that was really How old were you? I don't know, 15. How old was he? 18, 17, and so you dated him on 17. the sly. 
Yeah, just not really a boyfriend, boyfriend, but it was really cool. Okay. I know what you're trying to say. I'm not interested in the rest of that story. Was that Sly and the Family Stone? Oh, my God. Hopefully it was because I don't want to know the details of your sordid affair with this beer-drinking man. It wasn't sordid. But really, I mean, his greatest attribute was drinking beer, like, so men-like. At the beach. <laughs> That's not something to really brag about. I'm, I'm sure father drinks beers very manly-ish as well. Yeah. I, I thought I time, did. <laughs> at the time, I, it was magnificent. Um, at JK47 asks, when you were a child, did your parents ever guess you'd be a comedian? Yes. When I was a child? Yes. At what age did you think I'd be a comedian? Yes. Um, probably somewhere in like seventh grade you thought i'd be like i'd become a stand-up comedian and like an entertainer i think in terms of stand-up i don't think i even was aware of the uh terminology right uh uh, yeah you thought i'd become an entertainer yeah why what because you're extremely entertaining you were just really funny i would never stop talking not that that you never stop talking which is true as well (laughs) but you 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 are funny you have a funny look funny look i have a funny look that's that's what my mom is saying is like it's your mother talking to you (laughs) saying you look funny Thank you. At things and and it's, oh, at just, things. it's such a waste not to be a comedian with that. Did you know? Even that? yeah, at Beverly Vista in in Beverly Hills schools, you were saying about being an actor and how cool it. And you always did did uh, have that inclination. So Beverly Vista days that was many moons ago, and and I knew you could do it. And we're so proud of your career choice. And, uh, at ooh, at Oobco, oh, I don't know. Dr. Pepsi on Twitter said, I once hid my dad's summons to appear so it would turn into a warrant because he wouldn't sign my emancipated minor papers. Wow. Well, and I'll tell you something. If the boy wanted uh, emancipation papers... There was a lot more going on in that house than than uh, than that. Yeah, I think that's you a know? fair move. If your it's... father will not grant you emancipation papers and you really want out of that family, fine, get him arrested. I feel like uh, that's fine. No, I I actually meant it differently. I meant this family should go to therapy. Oh, because. Uh, Typically, a boy who is extremely happy with his family doesn't want, or a girl, I don't know if, what it was, uh, doesn't really want emancipation. Did you want emancipation? I did for many, many years. You didn't know this until now, but I wanted out. I, I wanted out of this family. And that's when we granted you your freedom. <laughs> no, but seriously. And I lived as a vagrant boy walking the land for many years with a stick and a bag land. at the end of it. <laughs> um, at V Startari. Valerie Startari said, after being 17 and never having a boyfriend, my dad said, quote, if you're a lesbian, that's okay. You'll still be invited to Thanksgiving. What an ass. Why? That's nice. He's trying to be embracing. That's not nice. And when you stop cursing your filthy mouth, Mom. That's not nice. For Christ's fuck. (laughs) Nice is is saying... It's not saying anything. I mean, you, whoever you are, you are. Who cares what That's you are? That's what the father yeah. is saying no. in this instance. He, say, he says, uh, even if you, if you become a lesbian, you're st- you will still be invited. What? You will still be invited? Maybe, maybe he was you, being funny. Maybe your father won't be invited. <laughs> what is this? And who is he to judge yeah, but, her? Okay, but did you guys never... This is another question I have personally. Did you never think I was gay? Because I heard one time, Dad, that you thought I was gay. Never. Because I was a very late bloomer with girls. Listen, 
may God strike me dead. No, now, I as- heard a member of a family friend told me that you thought I was gay never, at some point. Never. Never, no, ever? And I'm not going to call Believe me, this no, is totally uh, BS. But what we said, what we said yeah. was that if you were gay... We just hope you have some someone really nice like Jason. Who drinks beer not, really great, like no, Jason. Who is not gay, but... He just drinks beer like a real man. No, uh, he's just such a nice guy. Uh, why would you be having the discussion if I were gay if you didn't think I was gay? Because you were gay? a teenager. I mean, you were... What, all teenagers have a gay phase? What, so what does this come I from? No, but you don't know. I'm surprised that it, it came... Now we've had, we've had some truth here in this, in this conversation. Not that the whole conversation hasn't been truthful. It never ever happened about that assertion. I, if I buy it. Well, well I'm a pretty damn good salesman, so I know that there's there's just never any way. Right, honey? No, we just said that if it did, we just really so hope it you it there, the there were conversations. If it did, if it were the case, we would. There bless. were conversations. I knew it. Any contingency plan, like we talked about everything. I love that you do it. You always you say, I swear to God, and you overstate it. And then mom says, well, actually, we kind of did talk about it. <laughs> so I just, I just don't, don't like the parents that think that they're being so liberal or so nice. Or so, so you did think I was gay for a while. They say, be quiet. But I, I wanted to know that would this come to come no, out? No, no. Absolutely not. Whatever. Unequivocal no. Well, the reason I brought you guys in the podcast is I have some news. Um, I hope I still get invited to Thanksgiving. Jason and I, I'm totally, oh my God. <laughs> Honey, I told you it was a mistake <laughs> to come to this thing tonight. I'm very embracing of all sexual preferences, but in my own life, ladies listening, I couldn't be less gay. Please make Jason listen You should see the way podcast. I drink beer. Make Jason please, listen to this? Please. Oh my God. Hilarious. Uh, on that very awkward note, it's time for the Thunder Round. Jay-Z and Beyonce refuse to be near Kanye West and Kim Kardashian, apparently. According to Media Takeout, there's some tension going on there. Uh, apparently, there was a dinner happening um, that was, it was a, uh, I don't know, some kind of dinner. And Kim and Kanye were there first, and Beyonce refused to enter until they left, because they didn't want to be f- photographed with Kim and Kanye. Um Why? Why? Because apparently Beyonce and Jay-Z think they're better than Kim Kardashian. These people are so stupid. But you're not a big Kim Kardashian fan. You and I have no, talked about it. No, I think it. she's incredibly pathetic. I mean, this whole, <laughs> I mean, no, I think that I hate symbols, but they symbol, that family symbolizes, uh, the face of society nowadays. And the face of society is the face of, of the dog. It is awful. The it's face really, of society is the face of the dog. Yeah, it is just so not refined and not but it, sophisticated. So why are you not, against not, them not wanting to be photographed together? Because that shouldn't be an issue. I mean, how is that even important? Well, I mean, my gripe is that I don't think Beyonce is... I, 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 I'm a huge fan of Beyonce and Jay-Z, but I don't think Beyonce is all that more classy. Refined, yeah. Her song, Some of her song titles, just for the record, are songs like Lay Up Under Me, Love in This Club, I Want to Make Love in This Club, Naughty Girl. And again, I'm not criticizing or complaining. Uh, I think she imparts good messages to women sometimes. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah. One of them, Swing Low, Sweet Chariot. That's filthy. <laughs> that might have been a remake. It's a remake of a very historical song. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> um, 
So, but all I'm saying is that Beyonce really has the combo of sweet and classy mixed with a little dirty down pat. So, but one other website said that it was not that they didn't want to be photographed together. They were speculating that, that actually they were just there at different times. So maybe there's not a rift yet. So maybe it's not a story? It might not be a story, mom. Mom, I don't want there to be a rift between Hova and Kanye. (laughs) Wouldn't it be horrible? It would be horrible. Mom, will you do me a huge favor and say Hova, Hova, Hova fan for life? Hova, Hova, Hova fan. <laughs> well, keep, we need to say more things. My favorite things to do in my whole life is ask my mom to say silly things. Please say H to the Izzo, V to the Izze, for shizzle, my nizzle used to dribble down in VA. Boy, that's too long. H to the Izzo, V to the Izze. H to the Izzo, V to the Izze. For shizzle, my nizzle used to dribble down in VA. For shizzle, my nizzle, bonizzle, bonizzle. Oh, I love it. Pop, you got a good one here. I got the best. Oh, that's cute. And we're celebrating our 35th this year. Coming up, 35th. And why am I 37 years old? And that's an honor. 35th I'm not, I'm, is because your number when you played football was number 35. That's true. And I'm, and I'm turning, uh, 34 this year. Um, California may ban texting and riding a bicycle. It soon could be illegal to ride a bicycle and text in California if the same lawmaker that banned uh, cell phone use while driving a car gets his way. You think it's a good idea, Dad? You're an avid bicyclist. Yeah, and I would never text while biking, although I have been guilty of, as recently as yesterday of riding my bike and talking on my cell phone. Which is horrific. Which is just awful because it wasn't worth it. The phone call wasn't you. that interesting. and How I dare you. And I was a man that was sort of always advocating never, you know, I always practice safe bike driving, and, yeah. I, and I didn't do it. Just wrap up the phone next time, Pop. You know what I'm saying? No, it's important. Come on. People, don't, don't kill yourselves. And if you really want to do that, don't do it. Don't kill me alone. <laughs> I don't want to. Pep- Pepto Bismol's trying to make, I don't want you to get injured either, Mama. So please, Thank for my you. mom's sake. Yeah. Uh, Pepto Bismol's trying to make their brand hip. I told you we'd talk branding, uh, again later on the podcast. Uh, the 111 year old Pepto Bismol brand is seen by many as the bulky bottle with thick pink liquid sitting at home. But only six percent of consumers use it in a typical year. So they're trying to go portable with new cherry flavored chewables in a lifesaver size pack. They hope people will instead of looking at it as a home stomach issue uh cure all to an on the go product you should cart to parties. <laughs> Can you see this being a popular I don't know. It sounds like a hybrid between NyQuil and Pepto Bismol with the color combination or at least, at least it is in my head. The, what color combination? Well, you said about cherry. A cherry color has a yeah. certain connotation. And the Pepto-Bismol color. Isn't NyQuil like blue or something? What is NyQuil? Oh, the NyQuil Ny- DayQuil is, is red. It's cherry colored. How do you people know so much well, about Well, this is NyQuil. thinking. Oh, mom. NyQuil. These are some of the Evening best underground Quills. drugs there are. You mix <laughs> these up with a little meth and it's delicious. Quills. The nighttime sniffling, sneezing, coughing, aching, make your head trip like you're in the middle of the desert medicine. I used to love watching that commercial. It was a good commercial, yeah. right? Kate is fed up with Pippa. According to InTouch magazine, apparently it's hard enough for Kate to adjust to her new life being royal. She's tired of dealing with Pippa's issues, pulling guns on people, all kinds of shit. Does it mean anything to be royal these days? Why do we care? Do you guys care about the royal family? No, I think it's amusing that people care. It really is amusing that people care. And do you care, Dad? You know, well, we- the, whole point, the whole point is the royalty... For them is the same way that the show business, you know, following what the movie stars are in Kardashian. Yeah, Pippa's are 
Pippa is their Kim Kardashian. My answer to all of these pop things is, yeah. read the book. <laughs> <laughs> you read more than read most people book. read, however. Yeah, I do. I, I don't read like me, but you, no one is capable. You read all day long. Pretty much. But read the book. Are you able to keep the line between reality and your stories separate? Wouldn't you like to know? <laughs> He's yeah. a very vociferous reader. And you like to read too, Bob. I do. We read different things, but as long as you, you read, read a lot of sports books, sports books, biographies, history books, things of that nature. I love uh, biographies of politicians, things of that nature. And, you know, and, and a lot of sports books, too. I don't want to disavow my love of sports. Why do you love sports so much? I feel in a lot of examples, it's a metaphor for life. The tenacity that people have to persevere, different obstacles that they have. And it's always been, for me, uh, something I can relate to, especially baseball. Because it talks to individual. It's so American. It's like there was once a very famous philosopher who said, if you want to know Americans, go to a baseball game. And it's so long. And, <laughs> and what's the rush? You see that my wife said it's so long. All of life, such a fast pace, texting, all this kind of stuff. If you go to a ball game, you don't even look at a clock. You don't, you don't even care. Buy me some peanuts and Cracker I Jack. Care. I don't care if I ever come back. And the point is... It's beautiful, and I love it, and it's a metaphor, and it's enjoyment. And Did he just convince you now to become a sports fan? No, but he, but he reminded me of the uh, Authentic Supreme book that I made you read when the you what were book? little. What language was that? The, uh, the Santa the Supreme. Little, little Prince book. Okay, what did you just call it? Saint-Exupéry. Oh, okay. I thought you yeah. were all of a sudden yeah, started speaking French. He said, um, I, I, I could, not well. Uh, he said that, um, I don't understand what's the matter with people. They're always rushing and they're always running and they're always in malls and they're always buying things and they don't have time to interact and to pay, you know, to pay attention to each other and to care about each other. You know when that was written? Mm. In 1918. Wow. So that's it's dad's that point is that we should take our time and enjoy the, 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 the slower things in life, yeah. like writing letters to each other yeah. or watching long I baseball agree. games. And not waste your time watching a baseball game. <laughs> there was an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal this week, actually, by a guy named Jason Gay, who uh, said that he thought in today's fast-paced world, with how fast-paced everything is, that even the playoffs are way too dragged out. Seven-game series for basketball and NHL in the first rounds even. It takes eight days to even watch a sweep. Do you think they're too long now, or do you think sports should be dragged out and take even longer? Well, I think it's great having these great playoffs, even here currently with the L.A. Kings being an eight-ranked team in the playoffs, defeating the number one team, Vancouver Canucks. And as if that wasn't enough, they're able to continue that continued success, and now they're doing excellent against the second-rated, two-rate, two-seed St. Louis Blues. So basically, it's awesome. We're and by Dodgers had, having the best start of their season in forever. Best start since 1981, or the last, or one of you know we won the championship back in 81. You were in the Winter World Series with Mom, you and myself, and basically, it's great. More action, more. It's just more excitement. If it, you can't tell, my dad has always wanted to be a sports announcer. Well, I just and I'm. You were glad. in college. You would do sports interviews. I did. I did sports interviews. I was, but you know, basically, I couldn't. You know, you're doing it, and it's awesome, and I'm so proud of you. Well, you're my guest today, Dad, so you're doing it with me today. I'm doing it, and thanks for giving me the chance to see uh, how you how you do this, and it's fantastic. Thanks, Pop. And our last story uh, of the Thunder Round before we finish up for the evening, um, Mariah Carey and Nick Cannon renewed their vows at the Eiffel Tower this week. Mariah Carey and who? Nick Cannon. Mariah Carey is 42 years old. Nick Cannon is 31. He's like a comedian okay. and like a, okay. a singer, I think. Yeah. Um, 
And, uh, of course, recently Alec Baldwin, 54 years old, married his 28-year-old yoga instructor. Do you think these these relationships with either an older guy and a much younger girl or even, I think, in a lot of times less successfully, we saw with Ashton and Demi, with an older woman and a younger guy, can they work? Can that kind of love relationship I, work? Well, it depends, you know. Uh, again, for some people it can work fantastically and for some people it can't and the one thing that I know for sure, no one knows for sure the one thing I do know for sure is that it really is nobody's business I, people really should not worry about uh, the me more and, and me pores marriages. Who cares? Me pores not even a person. <laughs> it's, it's not even a, a slave. It's like, I mean, you know, they may get married, those people that you just mentioned, Mariah Carey and, and Perry, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and they may have an incredible life together, or they may have an incredible 10 years together. And who says, who is to say that those 10 magnificent years are not worth it. How, how is, who am I to judge? I don't know. I concur. And basically, like the old song goes, everybody's looking for something. And whatever it is, whatever turns you on, whatever's good for you and your significant other, and, and who am I to criticize? I mean, there's nothing, the, the comparison and metaphor between life and a baseball game is the following. It's never the same for anybody. The game's never the same. Every game, every relationship is unique to itself. And that's what's beautiful about life. Like Whatever. snowflakes. Exactly. And there's, mm, just do your thing. That's all. Be a good person. <laughs> be a good person. Don't hurt someone. And let the chips fall. Let the ch- chips fall where they may. And that's what makes it interesting, not knowing what tomorrow will bring you. I love that, Pop. Um, and I will leave you guys with a song from my favorite band, Sublime, and a bit of a historical song. Because it's called April 29th, 1992. The song's about the LA riots and starts wow. with an actual police recording from the riots. And, um, and it's just a cool song too. Thank you all for listening. Mom, dad, thank you so much for being my guest. Thank guests. you. How fun. And so for sharing some of your lives with us. Next week. Thank you. I'm going to call you guys. We'll, we'll schedule one in. Are you available 2014? <laughs> That's what I figured. Let's do it again. It's been a thrill and it's been just really. Just an awesome uh, thing for us tonight, and, and and thanks for including us. Of course, I love you guys very, love very much. Love Thank you, you for doing it. You're Until a I'm a what? A fleur. I'm a. F- that's your one of your favorite words. That's French for flower. Mm-hmm. You don't even speak French. I don't. That's why it's fun to say it. You, you, you guys. I hope that you listening now understand where why I'm a weird person. <laughs> These two lovely human beings are not the most in the box individuals <laughs> you'll ever meet, and that and I love them for it. Uh, until last week, next week, this has been Last Week on Earth. I don't know if you can, but can you get an order for Ons? That's O-N-S Junior Market. The address is 1934 East Anaheim. All the Oh,
This has been a production of Smodco Internet Radio.